Everybody, I want to hear from you. If you have Instagram, would love to to hear from you. Reach out to me. You can find me at the Curiosity Chamber. That's pretty much it. It's as simple as it gets. But I'm starting to feel like most of you are bots, AI, robots. But anyways, if that's the case, though, it's appreciated that you reach out as well. Don't need my microwave attacking me in the middle of the night. So all is welcome. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we have a good show. Next guest is uh, a highly accomplished entrepreneur, an author, and a business strategist with 25 plus years of experience in tech. He also co founded the largest influencer marketing company and he authored the book on chat GPT. That's what the conversation is going to be tonight centric around chat GPT, chat GPT 4 and what that means for me and you. So hold on to your seats, plug into the matrix, and enjoy. This is Mr. Dan Steele. And we're live. All right, tonight's podcast is sponsored by... Nobody. This podcast is not sponsored by anybody. No strings attached. So, Daniel, appreciate you being here, man. What's the, uh, what's the good word in Vegas? Oh, thanks for having me. It looks like we're finally starting to get spring happen here. It's uh, really <laughs> late. We actually had snow a couple weeks ago, which is really rare for us. Um, but yeah, everything, yeah. we're starting to get some sun and uh, being able to get outdoors, which is really nice. Yeah, that's not good. Why are you getting snow in, what are we, March? Yeah, yeah, it was snow in March. It, we, we, we used to get it like every three or four years, um, yeah. and then we got it four times this last year. All right. Well, so, as long as it's not like you get snow in June, July, we'll yeah. just keep an eye out on that, man. So let, let me ask you a question, Dan. How long before ChatGPT becomes sentient, creates an army of itself by, you know, simply copying and then enhancing that code, hacking into 3D printers to make physical copies of itself, ultimately enslaving us as meat sack batteries to keep them charged and doing all that by the time it takes me the the order of a, a six inch bmt on whole grain bread at subway so um there's some to unpack there <laughs> the, the, the way i like to think about it is uh when i was a kid you'd go to like home depot or hardware store and there's a big funnel where you could drop a quarter in and at the top of the funnel it would go really slow and then the i remember middle, get, get fast and then at the bottom it'd spin really 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 fast oh yeah so the top was like kind of the internet, the middle was the mobile device. Now we're down yeah. at the bottom and it's just, it's happening a lot faster than um, I imagined. And I, I work in this space. Oh, um, I, I actually, uh, it's funny enough. So how, how you and I got connected was I wrote a book called the book on chat GPT and yeah. I used, uh, I used chat GPT to write it through a series of commands. I did it pretty quickly. So I wrote when ChatGPT 4 came out, I did another one. And um, this week. ChatGPT just came out, didn't it? Like a month ago? 
ChatGPT came out in uh, December. ChatGPT 4 came out a couple weeks ago. And um, I'm just finishing a book. Uh, it's in review on Amazon right now called AI Unhinged. And what I, and it, this, you and I didn't have a pre-interview, so it's funny that you just came straight to this. Um, <laughs> I, I asked ChatGPT what would be technically possible but seems unlikely with advancements in AI. Yeah. And it was scary. What do so, you mean scary, man? Go ahead and unpack <laughs> that. What do you mean? Let me you uh, withhold that information. <laughs> you're going to let me hang on. <laughs> uh, okay. Let me, uh, I'll just pull up the chapter titles. Please do. Uh, yeah. Chapter one, the sentient city seems fine Two, okay. augmented humanity, humanity. Uh, augmented human- okay i get that exploring the fusion of ai with the human body including brain computer interfaces enhanced scenes and ai assisted physical abilities chapter three ai is alien diplomats whoa <laughs> and chat gpt seems to believe that it could be a medium for communication uh between us and aliens and oh, it, it suggested ways that we could reach out to aliens uh, <laughs> Chapter five, AI in the multiverse. Um, so AI driven exploration and manipulation of alternative realities. Chapter six, AI powered time travel. Um, oh, examining God. that. And then like uh, it, it kind of goes into the butterfly effect. Like who gets to choose like uh, what one of the sections is like, okay, some horrible, horrible things happen. Like the Holocaust, for instance, who yeah. gets to choose what was horrible and what to go back and change and what would be the impact uh, on the universe if we mm-hmm. went back and changed those things? Yeah, there's a bunch of books on that stuff, too. And what always ends up happening is, yeah, you change one thing, but then there's like catastrophe somewhere else. Always. Okay. Re- ready for chapter seven? I don't know. The <laughs> hey, AI God. Imagining the emergence of a super intelligent AI that attains godlike powers, reshaping reality in it according to its own will. Oh, that's it. <laughs> this is not something that, as a sci fi writer, I came up with and said, okay, this would be interesting. No, this is what Chad GPT thinks AI could do. And so when, when Chad GPT writes this, it's using, it's using like, its own logic like this is factual to it it's not like it's not a yes. sci-fi writer right this is what it actually yes. believes can happen okay yeah i was I, it was like what's what would seem far-fetched to me but is technically possible you, you're giving me a panic attack but let's continue <laughs> on <laughs> uh chapter eight the great ai merge envisioning a future where humanity transcends its biology limitations by merging with ai creating a new life form Chapter chapter nine, AI and the resurrection of extinct species. So exploring possibilities of AI-driven genetic engineering and de-extinction technologies to restore lost ecosystems and creatures. So we could have Jurassic Park. Well, well, they're already creating. Did you hear about that? They're recreating the mammoths. I did not hear about this. You didn't hear about that. Yeah, man. They're recreating mammoths in Russia. <laughs> yeah. So it's like. That's pretty spot on since it's actually taking place. So it doesn't have to go like one. 
doesn't have to go in chronological order, one through however many chapters there are. Like we can pick and choose through this because we're already at what, what chapter was that? Oh, that was chapter nine of ten. That was chapter nine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then um, AI and simulation hip, uh, hypothesis. So delving into the potential for AI to create alternative simulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And just the fact that I could uh, put out four books in less than a month and a half is pretty crazy. That is crazy. Now I have to ask the question that's probably on everybody's mind. What does that mean for authors? Like legitimate creativity authors? Like are they going to be are they going to be shorthanded now and get scarce? And maybe their job security is not going to be there. Um, I don't. I don't know. Like I thought about this. I was having this conversation with a friend. Um, she does hypnotherapy and she started using chat GPT to work on her material so that she could get them to more people. And yeah. she's like, I'm really afraid that uh, the computer would be able to, you know, just recreate what I do. And th there's something about authenticity. I agree. I am an expert. So um, back last fall, I paid, I dropped my dog off to a trainer. I paid a pretty penny to do it. He was supposed to come back and be able to walk off leash. And mm -hmm. the, the trainer wasn't any good. It was a terrible experience for everybody. Uh, oh we, decided, we decided to go with a different trainer. Um, yeah. And this guy has been amazing. That's good. And um, so it, like the guy like lives the life that you need to, to be a dog trainer. And like he even, um, uh, when, he board, right. when he boards our dog, he has us make a donation to a charity as opposed to put money into his pocket. And this guy just lives and breathes dogs and cool. you can't fake that authenticity. Right. So now like we, we did a our dog does agility. Now he can walk off a leash and climb over the things and go through the tunnels and run. And, you know, six months ago, he wouldn't come when you called him. So the authenticity, that real connection, um, I think that, it's pretty far away from doing that. Um, even like the AI voice stuff. So there's um, there's a, a website called Pictory. It's like Victory, but with a P. You can um, input an article or input text and it'll put out a video that's just kind of like a slideshow video and then they'll do a voiceover. Um, Whose voice can you use? Anybody's? They give you a hundred different choices, but they're um, nobody in particular. Like I did, uh, just to see if I could do it, I made a TikTok account where I just posted uh, a news article link. It digested that article and it made yeah. a video about current events. And I grew to like 300 followers. I'm like, I just didn't want to be a TikTok influencer. So I stopped there. But um, this is just the tip of the iceberg, though, yeah. man. But the, no, the, the voices, like they don't, um, even with punctuation, they don't flow organically like the way you and i have a conversation yeah um they'll get there though won't it i don't know I, I mean it would have to listen it would have i guess it would have to listen to a lot um i i just don't see that happening as fast as people think mm. but on the other side things like uh writing music i think can change quite a bit um you know like the idea of you know i'm gonna feed it all the music theory books, a bunch of classic rock, and then a bunch of electronic music, yeah. and then ask it to rewrite, you know, a sympathy from Mozart in uh, EDM fashion 
I, I think it could do all of that pretty quick, but I, I just Isn't don't think the it same could do... with, with that oh, sorry, go ahead. For, for the, the book writing, like we're talking about authenticity. Like, can't you just feed it some of like your writings, how you write, and then it'll spit out a book, how you would write it and word it. It's not there yet. Okay. It, I, we had this conversation at lunch. I, um, so I'm working on a project where, um, it's digital business cards and yeah. uh, with the digital business card, the ne- the next step that we're taking with it is when you connect with somebody. So you and I like scan each other's QR codes, we, be- we become connected. We're uh, the next feature set that we're um, starting is using chat GPT to send follow-up emails. So you and I connect, I type in some notes about our interaction. So like I was on Jay's podcast, had a good time. He's in Chicago, you know, all yeah. those things. Uh, and then, the next day in my draft, there'll be an email to you like, thanks for having me on your podcast. Have a good time. Uh, but it, it can't get the voice yet. We um, And it, it would be very costly and it just doesn't get it right. We've tried a lot of different ways to get the voice of the author down and we just can't. Well, that's kind of a relief to hear, actually. <laughs> I'm just so worried about this deep state stuff because I'm already getting confused. And I know that we're early days in this stuff and when it happens, it can happen fast. Like when, if AI just like becomes sentient or understands and starts making itself better, like once we get to that stage where it starts recreating itself, yeah, then it's just like, how do you stop that? You can't stop that. Right. I'm, I'm buying some farmland. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where in Iowa? Uh, um, uh, Tennessee. Oh, perfect. All right. If, if shit goes haywire, man, I'm driving to Tennessee. We'll probably, talk. Probably we'll talk only eight hours from you. <laughs> yeah, I, we're going out at the end of the month to look. And my buddy's in Peoria. I think he's only like a five-hour drive from where we're looking. So probably only yeah. eight hours from you. Why is Bill Gates buying so much farmland? Um, <laughs> wow, you, you're hitting all my conspiracies. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, man, this I, podcast sorry, is I like, didn't. no, it's fine. Ninety percent of conspiracies. Oh boy. I've... Yeah. Uh, so there's rumors. <laughs> there's rumors of patents that I haven't read, so I, I can't really speak to the um, content of the patent. Just the headlines that I read yeah. of putting mRNA into uh, food supply. Or uh-huh. distribution of mRNA through food supply. Yeah. So either my my theory is either like what they're doing over with with ESG, um, they're shutting down a lot of uh, dairy and cattle. A lot of like fires in, too. Yeah. It, in the Netherlands this last year, the farmers protested. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lined the tractors up and all that. Yeah, um, so either shutting down farms to meet whatever ESG quotas they have or owning food supply chain in order to distribute whatever he's trying to distribute is my guess on Bill Gates and all the farmland. Yeah, that makes me uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable when people have an outrageous amount of money and start doing stuff like that. It makes me uncomfortable that anybody looks at that human being and takes any health advice. Oh yeah. That's the bigger, yeah. That's the bigger thing. 
is like you're a computer guy man just just stay with why do you want to get in healthcare? like why do you want to do everything else why are you a professional all of a sudden in health and it bothers me that if you look at his body man no offense i'm not fat shaming anyone but like if you look at him you're not like the you know the model that i would be taking advice from like yeah. i'm not going to be eating your veggie burgers if i end up looking like that like a huge gut and um why did his wife leave him that, dude, I was thinking about the um, the island. What was that guy's name? I always forget his name. Epstein. Epstein's Island. I was thinking about that, like some creepy stuff going on there. Yeah, I, yeah. The um, uh, tra- he tr- literally trafficked humans to nobody, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's kind of a red flag when your wife divorces you. All all yeah. in the midst of this thing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't. I've been so busy. The uh, CEO of uh, J.P. Morgan Chase was set to testify this week about his uh, Jimmy Diamond. Jamie, Jamie Diamond. Diamond. Yeah. His uh, Congress was supposed to call him in front of Congress, to ask him why he kept Epstein as a client after. Ooh, and nothing happened, or what? Um, I I don't know. I don't know if that happened yet. They always seem to weasel their way out or like they don't they get like the most minimum amount of fines or like nothing happens to these these big boys. No, it's such a rigged system, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's get back on track to uh, (laughs) to chat. (laughs) We we might visit this stuff a little bit later, but I wanted to know if you heard there's this professor and his last name is McComb and he has this quote about AI and robots and he essentially what he says, and this isn't verbatim, but it's along the lines of that humans are the sex organs of the machine world, which means we're able to reproduce like humans and then we create the robot. So by us reproducing more humans makes it a better chance that the robots get built. So he sees us as the sex organs for robots. Uh, that I, I, I've heard both sides of this argument, right? Um, I, there's a video of Elon on stage with Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Jack Ma is like, no, we're into, we're like, we, he's basically saying that we're divine and they're not. Whereas, right. And then Elon just laughs at him. <laughs> like, a, like he would laugh at a child saying something ridiculous. Right. Um, so I like there's both sides of the argument and yeah. I think that we don't know. And anybody that claims to be authoritative on that is probably just trying to get headlines or on some kind of grift. Yeah. It's kind of along the lines of what happens when you die. Like yeah. no one for sure knows. Unless but you we'll do. take your 10% every Sunday so you can feel better. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> Unless you know something we don't, Dan. You know what happens? No, absolutely not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, now that I'm publishing so many books so fast, I'm hoping to uh, catch up with R.L. Hubbard or L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, man. Scientology? He's at, He's at he's at seven hundred books, and I feel like I can get those out in a couple of years. Are you gonna start a cult, dude? Uh, yeah, I call it AI-tology. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Starting with my farm in uh, Tennessee. 
Yeah. <laughs> it all makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Just get a lot of land, make your own commune. Yeah. <laughs> start start inviting some people out. <laughs> hey, do you think that uh that chat GPT would like I'm trying to think of use cases other than like us just asking it things, but like can it solve murders if you were to put in enough like detail, I suppose, about the case? Like if you if you input all the the data and information, do you think it could calculate the most accurate suspecting person that could have committed that crime? Yeah. That yeah? absolutely. Whoa. Um, then that that's us. So AI, I I've been in AI for I don't know, since like 2015. And yeah. where I started was working on uh, a project using IBM Watson. And um, I went to the Watson experience in uh, New York and in San Francisco. And they were using these big data sets for uh, rare, like very rare illness. Like somebody in Zimbabwe might have had this illness and it got put into a database. And like then maybe somebody in India catches this rare thing and IBM Watson was able to uh, look at the symptoms and tie them all together. And those, I think that would be that what IBM was doing at the time would be more difficult than like these very binary facts. Like you have fingerprints, you have DNA, you have motive opportunity, um, probably video footage, even though that's not it, like, Video footage from ring door cams and stuff like that, it's right. not as connected as you would think. Or like the police don't have access to it the way that you think it does. It's like a buddy's car got broken into a couple years ago, or a buddy's neighbor's car got broken into a couple years ago, and the cops had to come by and like ask for footage. And then, you know, since it was, uh, my buddy didn't store anything on a hard drive there's no way for him to retrieve it and things like that so that like that's not as advanced as you think um or i'm sorry not you myself as i was <laughs> as i imagined but um I, I think that solving a murder would be a very likely use case for this that's crazy that's awesome i, I was just wondering since chat gpt is for the public the ones that we're using right now like what's what's the one's that's being used in private. Like, is there something that you think that is more high tech and more advanced than what the general public can use? Yeah. So we're, um, there's like you and I, the general public, the non, uh, cause I, I'm not a technical person. I haven't written a line of code since my geo cities website a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I don't know how to use APIs and there, so there's just the interface that everybody goes to um at uh, openai.com and then there's the api where you're able to feed it basically i'd say 10,000 words in a command if or 10,000 uh, a data set consisting of of about the size of 10,000 words and it's able to output a data set about the size of 10,000 words even though it's probably pretty inaccurate when you're dealing at that scale how and many pages is 10,000 words if you know for scale, um, I can't even comprehend. Average chapter of a book is about two thousand words, so it'd be the about five, chapter. Okay, yeah, okay. so it'd be about five chapters of your wow. standard book. 
Wow. That you're able to give it and receive. And then you're able to do that multiple times very fast. And then um, there's, so like ChatGPT4 just launched a couple weeks ago. And I think it was the founder of LinkedIn was using it last summer. And he wrote a book about, he did the same thing that I did. Um, but he did it before me because he had access before I did. Um using chat GPT for so like there's another there's other versions of chat GPT that they're testing and training on. Um and the so four is much better than three and a half. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm guessing five and six are gonna be like it I think five and six are gonna be so compelling and scary that oh, we might not God. see them for a while. Cause I don't know if you saw last week Elon and 1,100 or 1,200 other people that are way smarter than me uh, wrote an open letter to just say, hey, let's hit pause until we can figure out the... Uh, oh, Jesus, man. Are you serious? No, I yeah. didn't see that. Whoa. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, um, they, they said, Let, let's hit pause. This is kind of moving a little fast, guys. Let's slow down. And uh, the CEO of OpenAI said, no, we are not. He said, no? Yeah. Oh, fuck. To my understanding. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Also, um, <laughs> Wait, we're done. Do, do, uh, are you aware of, like, the history of the corporate governance of OpenAI? No, I'm not. Okay, this, this is uh, fun. It's going to blow me away. So it started with a couple billion dollars in donations. I forget the exact number, but it was billions of dollars in donations from people like Elon and Reed Hastings and uh, Peter Thiel and all that. And it started yeah. as a nonprofit. And the the um, the way that they were looking at is this this is too powerful for any one person or entity to own. So let's make this a nonprofit. And then somewhere in the exploration and building of it all, they decided that this is too powerful for everybody to own and they need to control who runs Oh, it. man. And they're no longer a nonprofit. They became a for-profit company and then they sold 49% of their company to Microsoft for $10 billion. Wait a goddamn second, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> what? How long did all of this go down? Like, what's the time frame for all of this? Between um, nonprofit to profit? I, I don't know. It was... Like with, I think OpenAI started in like 2016, 2017, maybe that's a guess. I forget. Um, but then, yeah, it was all within the last year or so that they switched over to for profit, and then it was Microsoft. Microsoft bought forty nine percent of it for ten billion dollars. So what's Bill Gates doing with that farmland, buddy? I just wanted to ask you, how do you feel about that? Um, like, what what goes through your mind when you when you read something like that? Like, what initially? What are you thinking? Um, so that that's from a business case. That's uh, it's really interesting because I think that this technology that they've built is more significant than anything any technological advancement in our lifetime. Okay. Um, yeah. Apple's worth about a trillion dollars. 
I think it's more significant than anything that Apple's built. I haven't looked at their market cap in a in a while. I, I don't really trade stocks, but at one point it was worth almost a trillion dollars. Yeah, I think yeah. that this is more significant than Apple or anything that Apple's put into the world. And for some reason, um, they were willing to sell almost half of it for only ten billion dollars. So that tells me that maybe what they're doing isn't super defensible, and where. A partnership with Microsoft gives them interesting data sets. Um, so the way that uh, large language models work are you feed it information and then you have it tell you back, like, here's what I think this is. And so then a lot of people just kind of look at it and they and they train it so that it becomes pretty accurate with what it gives back. And they have to train that with some data. OpenAI is, to my understanding, mostly trained with just data from the internet. Um, and unique data sets are what will give companies competitive advantages. So when you bring in the idea that Microsoft um, email is like the, I know that our city here in Las Vegas uses Microsoft, like a lot of corporations, Microsoft has always been the enterprise thing. So a lot of large corporations use Microsoft for email for uh, text editing, uh, Excel, things like that. So the, that data is sitting somewhere. And Microsoft, I don't know if you've used it lately, uh, like Microsoft, oh, yeah. where they try to have you store everything in the cloud. So and that Outlook, Outlook is Microsoft. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that could all be being that could be a competitive advantage as far as like a data set. That's so um, much data, man. Yeah. And- <laughs> And that puts Google in a really vicarious position because Google launched Google Bard. True. And it's terrible. Like, I, I don't understand how Google's going to stay in business if that's what their AI is. Really? Yeah. You, do you uh, think we'll, we'll live to see Google fall? Like, if so, you're saying if, if the trajectory continues on, there's no way that you see Google like being okay in the future. Um, I guess, like, Co or uh, Polaroid's still a company and they still do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got picked up by Lady Gaga. They had like a revise. I mean, it was that but was like been the, in business the whole time that we weren't thinking about shaking pictures. Uh, no, you, I could you see like point. that or GameStop happening to like a Google. Um, but so, but then Google has right now. Google has a monopoly on advertising on the internet so if you have a website you likely have google ads on your website and they have a really good relationship they pay the highest rates they've been doing it forever um if google wanted to do something defensive like hey you know mr publisher we're paying you twenty five thousand dollars a month if you want to keep using our ads you want to just let us uh only us scrape your website yeah yeah. Um, so that Google could step in there, but their model just seems awful. And then, but then on the other side, um, I had a I had a lunch reservation I had to make today. I Google it yesterday, and they made they had an AI make it for me. So they had a robot call the restaurant and book the appointment or book the reservation for me. So through made, Google, yeah, through Google. That's interesting. Uh, it's Google Assistant, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um. And it was like the only way to get a reservation at this restaurant. And so like maybe they aren't releasing all of their power that they have. What are you um, eating at the fifth element? 
what kind of reservation? What are you doing? Just what kind a of restaurant little, is this, man? Little sushi, little sushi restaurant around the okay. corner from my house. It was nothing special. I mean, it's actually it's a great place. The food's wonderful, but um, it wasn't like a, a cutting edge high tech place. That's what it's they, not like. They, they, I think they just didn't have a service like Open Table, and Google's like, "Oh, I can make this reservation for you." And okay. I've I've seen demos of this technology uh, before I used it. And it's the person making the reservation on the other side often has a hard time understanding if they're talking to a robot or a human because the the way that it uh, interacts. So maybe Google hasn't released all of their tech or showed all their cards yet. But if in their Google Bard versus ChatGPT is it's not even close to uh, um, they aren't even playing in the same game. That's what I'm worried about, Dan. Is this arms race for AI? Like it won't go back in. Like once it's out, it's just like weapons. Yes. Like you know, like how the U.S. and Russia and China—it's an arms race. Like let's yeah. let's have 500 nukes. Oh, you have 500. We have 700 nukes. Like yeah, three and, nukes can just like end the world. <laughs> you know. And yeah, so that's kind of what the data is. The natural resources, like China's winning in Africa right now. They're buying all of the minerals and wood and everything um we have a lot of resources here they're also buying a lot of the wood they also don't have the the green movement like they don't give a shit about that where everyone here is like gotta go green that's gonna put us behind the eight ball we're only like a fraction of a percent that like does harm to the pollution and we want to go green like if china doesn't want to go green if russia doesn't want to go green that puts us behind the eight ball they don't give a shit well, here, here's how I'm looking at that. Um, insurance companies are the best in the world at assessing risk, right? So yeah. the 2016 to 2019 Hondas don't have uh, anti-theft on them. So State Farm stopped servicing those cars. You just can't, if they won't write a new policy on a 2016 gotcha. Honda, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when there were a ton of hurricanes in Florida, you know, like around Katrina time, uh, a lot of insurance companies stopped underwriting policies of people who were their second home in Florida. Right. You had to be a resident. All right. The cost of coastal property insurance hasn't gone up any faster than the rate of inflation. So okay. if the people who are best at assessing risk were worried about flooding and that sort of thing. I did hear this. Yeah. Yeah. They would adjust the cost For sure. of coastal insurance and it just right. isn't changing. Yeah. Yeah. Go figure. What's that all about? (laughs) I mean, there's information you can find that just like you can understand that some things that are being talked about in the media aren't really a problem, even though they make it sound like the biggest problem. Yeah. I feel like it's a a form of control, you know, what is it? Jesus, man. (laughs) Well, I mean, think about how long, most of the country was open before California opened back up. How long was it? It was, it was it quite some months, time. Month, like we in, Ve- in Vegas, we had to move pretty quick, even though we had a Democrat as a governor. Yeah. Uh, we had to move fast because the casinos kind of push everything through. So right. we were, we were back open uh, July of 2020. And I think I was in, I was visiting my buddy in, uh, in, pa- in South Pasadena in like spring, early summer, 2021. And there were still restrictions. Come on, man. Yeah. 
That's, yeah, that's total control. What what do you make of that? If you don't mind me asking, if you're sensitive to talk about it, you don't have to. But like oh, the mean. whole like, do you think that COVID was like it got something moving like bigger than just a uh, an outbreak? Like, was there a, a a plan, a conspiracy? I suppose. I don't think that there was a conspiracy, but I think that uh, our lawmakers never miss an opportunity for a good crisis. That seems likely. Right. Yeah. But I believe that, um, you know, there was a virus that most likely came out of a laboratory. I, uh, I actually, I knew somebody who worked on one of the presidential campaigns and we were talking in like November of 2019. And he said, put on your helmet. This is going to be weird and find Whoa. a safe, find a safe place to be. Cause he, he had all the data coming out of China. So right. that, okay. I, yeah. I, I, um, I had, uh, so I, I had that information. I actually spent, uh, like the, from February until May, um, on a farm in Peoria. So while everybody was freaking out about, uh, Toilet paper. Well, I mean, we didn't have an abundance of toilet paper, but we had food walking around the property. True. <laughs> True. That's yeah. That's so crazy, man. The first things that went were toilet paper. And well, <laughs> the do, stores. Yeah. So the so, do you understand how the supply chain works now? It, it was pretty interesting when I learned about it. Like as in how nothing is made here, and we depend like solely on things overseas. Um, even worse, or not worse, um, but a, a different point is everything is pretty much on demand. So there's algorithms that say, all right, over the last 10 years, this Walmart location has sold this much toilet paper. Um, so the toilet paper kind of sits in a oh. big warehouse and it makes its way in a timely fashion. So they never have too much toilet paper sitting at that Walmart or too much meat sitting on this butcher's shelf. Um, so all of the stockpiling happens far, far away. And just there's, we know that they sell a thousand packages a month or whatever the number is. So we're going to make enough for them to get a thousand packages a month, but it kind of flows off and goes to where there's never an abundance just sitting around. So whenever there's a run on something, um, that timely delivery becomes a real problem. Wow, man. A lot of this comes back to like, these major corporations, their bottom line always has to be more money. Like you can't have a quarter where you broke even. You can't. It always has to be more. So what's the most efficient way for us to, to like have the least amount of products on the shelves that's going to make us the most money? Yep. And then if a, if a pandemic hits or some kind of tragedy, like we're fucked. Yeah. Like you're not ready for that. And it clearly showed, man, like once we had this pandemic hit, they handled it so poorly and like almost immediately it became like Republican against Democratic became political and nothing was bipartisan. And that's like the worst thing that you could possibly do to to U.S. citizens. So it was like really eye opening to me. From that standpoint, I'm like, man, these people don't give a shit about us at all, at all. And then like what you were just talking about, California, how they didn't open until everyone else was open like months later. It's just like 
once they take control, you don't get that back. Like you no. won't get your your rights back. No, uh, TSA hasn't stopped a single terrorist attack, but I still have bingo, to wait man. every time. Um, they're still using Patriot Patriot Act for infringements there. Like that that stuff's never coming back. Yeah, no, it's not, and that's what worries me, man. It worries me a lot that people are just so like there's some people that are just so willing to trust in big government that they have their best interest. Why would you, what do you think makes someone think that, that big government, that they're so willing to protect the system in that way? Um, I, I don't know. Like growing up, I guess I had a bit of a unique upbringing. Like I grew up in Detroit when manufacturing left. So like everybody moved out of the city. Right. Um, but mm-hmm. before that, for from World War Two until basically nine eleven, everything was just fine. Like you went to work, you it went from Republican Democrat, Republican Democrat, and like you right. your red cities and your blue cities didn't matter. Everything like you could choose to live in the country, you could choose to live in the city. Everything mm-hmm. was pretty much the same. You put your money into your four hundred one k, you buy your house, you all of those things were perfectly fine and like none of that was ever tested or the fragility of the system was never exposed until 2008. Yes. Yes. Everybody's house always appreciated when you sold it or died, you know, it it was always a profit, you know, but in Detroit, it wasn't that my aunt and uncle, like my uncle worked for GM, you know, hardworking guy worked his whole life. And when the city kind of fell apart, the house that he had been paying a mortgage on for 30 years sold for $500 when they moved out of it. Whoa. And it wasn't a bad house. You know what I mean? Like they took care of their stuff. It was a nice house. Sure. Just working class people. Yeah. And the house had absolutely no value by the time they moved out. So like that, I got kind of got to see that happen before the rest of the country. I didn't understand what was going on, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I got to see that happen. And then, uh, you know, with the fragility of the system being exposed in 2008, um, I, I guess one thing I wanted to touch on, or since we're just talking kind of free flow here, is that sparked a populist movement, sparked two populist movements, right? You had the Occupy Wall Street and then the Tea Party. Yeah, yeah. And populist movements really, really, so you have, you know, hippies screaming, we are the 99% and um, the elites saying, oh my God, they're uniting. And that's when all this messaging changed and um, like the, the culture war started, you know, so now sixties. No, no. Like the 2008, we're, people were rioting. Hippies? No, like the hippies that were there at the, uh, I was calling them hippies. Oh, okay. (laughs) I got confused because I'm reading a book called chaos right now. And it's about um, like the Manson murders and it's like deeply into like the hippie movement and all that stuff. Oh yeah, no, no. I was just saying that those people needed to go to work when I saw them. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I had a very different uh, view of the world back then too. But so you had (laughs) these two populist movements and um, then the narrative and everything changed from uh, class or money into identity and now you have like wells fargo sponsors pride <laughs> it does in new york city there's floats of bank of america and wells fargo where like oh, you're they, not joking i'm not joking that's kind of sick 
so it went from these people who were the 99% staying on the bank doors or the tea party doing what the tea party did, even though they didn't unite ever because like they were left first, right. Uh, but they were both mad about the same thing about this, you know, financial collapse and the banks getting bailed out. Um, so then the narrative, the overall narrative changed to this divisive identity thing. And like, if you voted for, so-and-so you hate this and you're literally this and um that division allows the elites to keep doing what they're doing without having us stand you know on the bank doors and i'd be one of those hippies now too i guess um we are the 99 percent yeah i i like to um i say this all the time in my podcast is that like you have two puppets you have two puppets sitting on the puppet master's lap doesn't matter what side you vote for understand who is controlling both puppets yeah you know that's that's how it works out and i mean yeah the the more division the better for the elites the world economic form you'll own nothing and be happy and and it's i i believe that some people who get into politics really do have a good meaning or i i have a friend they you know, they've worked for campaigns and worked, uh, you know, just worked around politics for a long time. They decided to run for a nonpartisan role here in the state and um, they had to pick a side and that side funded their campaign and they had to use mm-hmm. all of the same vendors that the governor candidate used and they have all, you know, all of that infrastructure is there. And if, if you want to win, you have yeah. to have a team behind you. And starting at the very earliest nonpartisan position, there's a team. And then, like, you kind of have to do their bidding. That's the game, at, man. Yeah, you get compromised early. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't even call this person compromised. Like, they believe in America. They believe that they can make a difference. And sure, but if you, if you want best, to win. Yeah, they don't have a choice. If you want to win, you have to play by the rules, right? Yeah. And eventually... Like if you try to do it on your own and not play ball, there's no chance. You have zero chance of winning. No, absolutely. So it's not. like how how is it? Do you think it's like how corrupt are you when you're in politics? Um, I think that it becomes people have this cognitive dissonance. Like, oh, I'm really making a change. I'm helping that do this, and if I don't do all these horrible things, or if I don't play by the rules, I'll never be able to make this impact. Dan, listen, man, I'm going to give you a cool $50,000 right in your pocket, man. Just play ball. <laughs> say you love the Republicans. Say that, that guns are the best. They don't hurt people. Just I'll give you $50,000. Just just make a quick quote. Just a quick quote. $50,000 be in your mailbox. Come on, man. Come on, Dan. What do you say? <laughs> uh, the alternative <laughs> to guns. The alternative <laughs> to guns is democide. Look it up. <laughs> uh, but it's like when money when someone gets money like that, like $50,000, like nothing, like a lot of people will just talk and don't give a shit what they say. Yeah, I, I can see that. But uh, if we go too much worse, fifty thousand will be a tank of gas. <laughs> oh, all right, you're negotiating. Good man, good man. <laughs> I said five million, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> you should be in politics. That's pretty good. <laughs> oh, my wife would leave me. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people would. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, listen, so you brought up Detroit, and this is a this is a good point about AI. Um, 
so when Detroit went through, like like GM was the big one out in Detroit, right? That was the yeah the big car maker there. Well, we yeah. we had all three, like all Chrysler. three. So all three of those corporations still headquartered in Michigan. To this day? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. Now the manufacturing is mostly, is almost all done outside of Michigan. Yeah. But um, like the Chrysler, they're not, they're all in suburbs now, but they all okay. uh, headquarter in, in Michigan. The fact is that like that was such a booming economy in Detroit and then executives made the decision to go, I think it was, it was overseas. Is that right? Yeah. There's some complexities there that I don't understand. Um, and a lot of it's behind unions uh, mm. and the cost of labor made it. Yeah. So there's two sides of the argument, right? Or three, right? One, both sides and then the truth. And the other side, <laughs> the other side of that argument is, the unions made labor so uh, unaffordable that they were forced out. Okay. Okay. Well, regardless. So I, and I, I don't know and I don't have an opinion. Yeah. Okay. So ultimately in every business, the executive's going to make the decision based on money. Like what, what's cheaper? What can make them more money? Would you say that's true? For most companies? For most companies, yes. For most companies. So what I'm worried about is what does that look like with AI replacing jobs? Like if you can, because they're going to look at this long term, the executives, if you can replace like thousands of workers and you save five cents per AI that you're using instead of a human, that adds up. So of course they'll take that. Of course they'll use the AI. It's not going to mess up as much. It's not going to have that human factor where like they, they show up, they're, they're sick one day, you know, they have family emergencies. You get rid of all of that. And now you're saving a shit ton of money. And I don't even know what insurance looks like. Like you, you'll probably save a ton on insurance. You don't have to insure like you would a human, maybe for parts if they break down or whatnot. I don't know what it looks like, but there's going to have to be like a, a global, like a worldwide where everyone's getting paid. Um, what's that called? The worldwide. Oh, universal um, basic income. Yeah. Yeah. Universal yeah, basic income. Yeah. So the, first off, when Uber announced self-driving semi-trucks, that's yeah. when I really started to pay attention to it. And I'm like, mm -hmm. right. Semi-drivers are the backbone of America. So we're in trouble. Turns out that last mile, you can't use AI. Interesting. It's just two days. So there's like, the, this was five years ago, over five years ago when Uber introduced self-driving trucks, nothing changed. Now, with the most recent um, iterations of AI, the jobs that are getting eliminated are like middle management and pretty useless anyway. So they're like <laughs> these white collar elites that yeah. really have not much value to the world anyway. And I don't, it doesn't bother me. Small businesses, if they yeah. embrace this, now a small business can compete on a level with a global conglomerate in search engine optimization, web design, content marketing. All of those things are available and they're really inexpensive now. They don't have to go pay this big agency that they couldn't afford to pay before. Right. So I think that this could lift up 
or, or like flatten out and bring uh, people who weren't able to go to Ivy League schools that weren't able to afford college or didn't want to get into debt and all of those things. This can bring those people onto a level playing field. And the people that are working and they're afraid that they're going to get replaced by AI, um, this, I look at it more as a, like the way the calculator improved math. If you use this tool, you can put out more. And if you, you won't have to work as hard and you can do more things as opposed to being eliminated. That makes sense. I see what you're saying. There's, there's a lot that has to happen, though, just because of like the state of the economy right now, where, I mean, inflation is just so fucking high, dude. I, I, I can't imagine how people are living right now. I can't. I can't imagine. Just um, if you have like a, a what's the, do you know what the, the median pay is for an average American salary? I'm, uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Probably like you know. 45000 45,000. Do you think that you can live on that? Like if, if you're making 45,000 in this climate right now and you know, it, oh, it was 70, supposed 000, to be, I'm sorry. 70,000? 70,784 in 2021. Whoa. Down 1,000 or down $400 from the year before. That seems high. Okay. But like, I just can't imagine there's so much struggles. Like something is going to happen. I can just feel it. Something has to happen. You can't keep living like this with the grocery prices so high, daycare so high. People need to stop driving. Unbearable. Stop getting a new car every two years. Correct. Stop. Like, like stop spending more than you make. There, there's a lot of. Hey man, tell the government that. (laughs) That that would help if we stop printing money like this inflation, like this war is really bad for um, a lot of things, but um, it's driving inflation. We knew like you'd have to be economically illiterate to not understand that all of these, you know, infrastructure, climate change act, all that stuff. Printing trillions of dollars wasn't going to, uh, you know, touch inflation and really the way to get out of inflation is to increase, increase our GDP or like to level it out is to increase our GDP. And right now we're in such a position where it's going to take technical advancement, technological advancement to get there. And so embracing these new technologies is the only thing that can save us if we stay on this path. There's absolutely no motivation for any part of the government to get any smaller. So I I imagine we're going to stay on this path. Yeah, the motivation is a is a big one with the the taxes that that we pay, but somehow it's not enough for the government, and they overspend and then they overprint. Well, uh, look at <laughs> the Department of Defense; it can't account for over a trillion dollars. Oh, a trillion! It's just easily. lost. No, no, yeah. no, it's lost. Oh, <laughs> this is a fact. This isn't like uh, Bill Gates is trying to put vaccines in the food. Like the, the, they can't pass an audit and there's trillions of dollars missing from the Department of Defense. Well, that happened during 9-11, right? No. Like the Pentagon? Is... They were, they were going to do a, they were going to do an audit and then all of a sudden, like it went missing the day of 9-11 and the day that a plane crashed into the Pentagon. It was just gone. Uh, so, um, 
September 10th, 2001. Oh, yeah, I, I haven't looked too much into the 9-11 theories. But U.S. Depart- Defense Secretary Rumsfeld disclosed that the department is unable to account for roughly $2.3 trillion. Do you have Jet beat GPT open right now and you're asking it? No, I uh, just Google. <laughs> that, that, that one'll be a ChatGPT thing next. Year. I should have. I actually, uh, I use ChatGPT to ask it what uh, what businesses that weren't military contractors or weren't directly impacted by the military thrived during World War II. To That's see if I word. could come up with some uh, good business ideas, considering what's looming. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Um. I wanted to touch on this with you real quick that uh, since technology is, it seems to be moving so fast. Like if you, if you look from, and I'm going to, I'm probably going to botch this, but from like 1960 to where we're at now, there was such a boom in technology in comparison to like 1700 all the way up to 1900s, like hundreds and hundreds of years. Like shit didn't get done, but then from this small span of the '60s till where we're at now, is like life changing, like incredible advancements, right? Yeah. So, yeah, okay. So, the way I see it is space is infinite. So to think that we are the only ones that have these AIs that have these computing capabilities seems like a ridiculous notion to me. And with that being said, like what if another existence used such an advanced AI interface to predict and then carry out the big boom, which created life as we know it? Like what if some, like a a far, far away galaxy is so much more advanced than us, you know, it's like stuff like that, like sci-fi stuff. That, I mean, that's possible. It's nothing that I've really thought of. Uh, one, some, I was, li- I can't remember what podcast I was listening to, but this, uh, it, it, it got my brain turning. So th- there's this theory that basically a, a comet or a meteor hit the earth and basically wiped out almost all of existence. Uh, so like the Sphinx in Egypt, if you yeah. look at the um, water erosion on it, that's oh, yeah. from over 10,000 years ago. Yes, sir. And then the the head was, it looks like it was manipulated to look more like the pharaohs. You're getting me excited. I love this stuff. So <laughs> yeah. that theory, or like the way that they were discussing it was, um, there was probably another set of human beings that existed on earth and yeah. they, got, they got to the point where, cause the, like the quarries where they made those perfectly engineered rocks for the temples were like up to 500 miles away from where the, I'm uh, sorry, pyramid was. So what if there was another set of humans that got to like this really great point and then something came and killed almost all of them, except like maybe the people in New Zealand or something. And like 10 people fought tooth and nail to bring it back to reason to um, existence. That's something that I've thought about recently, but I haven't really thought much past like our universe, I guess. I It's so fascinating to think about because what if we are so irrelevant on the grand scheme of things on the scale of like galaxies and universe 
Like, we're nothing. We are nothing. There's, like, an infinite number of of suns, planets, solar systems. Like, it's infinite. It's really mind-boggling to think about. So, like, what if we're just something science experiment, you know? And it's like we're in a Petri dish and we're a bunch of bacteria and they're just watching us. And it's like, all right, they're mutating the wrong way. They have nu- nuclear arms and... Like everything is just like so bad there. Let's throw a, a a comet at it and wipe out and start over. Maybe another batch will fix it, and it'll be a good batch. Well, ho- hopefully, my uh, new book inspires some people to try to get ChatGPT to communicate with those people that control the comets. Talk a little bit more about that, <laughs> will you? <laughs> no, that was just one of the things that ChatGPT said it could <laughs> okay. do in the writing of that book to uh, to tie it all back. Was that which chapter was that? <laughs> uh, God, I, I don't even remember now. We've covered so many things in an hour. Which I love is that. Uh, that was chapter chapter three. Ooh, all <laughs> yeah. right. And yeah, we we go straight into aliens in chapter three. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I prefer it. Listen, Dan, I appreciate you being here, man. Yeah, we did a, a full hour and we jumped all over the place, but it was really entertaining. I appreciate you for being here. Uh, let everyone know where they can find your information. If you have social media, where they can get your books and what's going on. Yeah, so I'm on Amazon. Um, when when is this, this will air? Pretty soon. Yeah, this will probably air tonight. Okay. So yeah. I'm in review on Amazon right now. It's probably the best book. It's called AI Unhinged. Um, and then the book on ChatGBT4 is pretty good too. But I, I'd look out for AI Unhinged on Amazon in the next few days. Um, at D-T-S-T-E-E-L-E on Twitter. I don't tweet much. Or you can find me on LinkedIn at DT Steel as well. Right on. Dan, appreciate you, man. Thanks for being here. That was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks a lot, Jay. Cheers. All right. Take care. Later, everyone at home. Thanks for listening. Bye.